I was 19 and he was 55 at that time when, when we did that run together. So that was obviously a special bonding experience for us. Uh, uh, father and son, how many fathers and sons can go out and run the Boston Marathon together? I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 10 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. This episode is special to me. Dr. Bill Johncock is a dear friend, and he and his son, Logan, make up the wonderful team known as the Dynamic Duo and race as a duo team out there running marathons, spreading joy and love everywhere they go. Had the chance to spend some quality time with them and meet them in person for the first time down in Atlanta at the Olympic trials. And although we'd grown pretty close via some Facebook running groups, and I could tell uh, Bill was just a really special person and so deeply engaged in his community, doing wonderful things uh, as a father, as a doctor, with his church, and certainly with Ainsley's Angels and uh, many associations that him and Logan are involved with, with running and charity, and again, just spreading joy. I knew after spending some time with the two of them, he was going to be someone I wanted to get on the show, uh, particularly in the times where we're struggling so mightily with COVID and people are battling uh, such difficult uh, stress levels and facing so much uncertainty and many times just feeling defeated and negative. I thought, what a perfect opportunity for me to sit down with him and just give him a long form opportunity to chat about anything uh, in his life that shaped uh, the direction that he's taken. And I think we've having the long form opportunity just gave us the ample time needed to really just learn some really remarkable things about what shaped Bill in his life. First, Firstly, the deep father-son connection that Bill has forged with his dad, Jerry, who did not start running until the age of 50. And Bill got started at the young age of 13, running his first marathon at 15 years old. And his dad, Jerry, was 52. So they started their own version of a dynamic duo um, all the way back then and just put together remarkable running resumes, the two of them. They both run well over 100 marathons. Dad Jerry has a multitude of national age group records um, spanning into his 70s and 80s, running still today in his 90s, and just has done some remarkable things in the running community. And I want to save those highlights for the episode because they were just wonderful to hear Bill talk about them, um, obviously with great pride for his dad. And they shared this remarkable journey together, running Boston's together, qualifying for Boston's together, uh, traveling to these races. Uh, I'm not going to say, I'm going to save every one of those beautiful and fun stories and uh, practical advice that Bill gives uh, talking about his dad and, and kind of their adventures together. And then really more or less port two of this long and, and powerful story is really Bill getting the chance to talk about uh, the deep connection he has with his son, Logan, who has Angelman syndrome. And uh, they had the chance to meet the Hoyts in 2005. And obviously um, Dick and Rick Hoyt have done remarkable things, running 32 Boston marathons, completing an Ironman triathlon, and just really showing people what is really capable um, 
in this type of uh, landscape when someone really puts their heart and soul into it. So I think they had an opportunity to meet their role models at an age uh, when Logan, I believe, was just seven. And it certainly shaped the direction that uh, Bill chose to go. And just to, to hear him talk about uh, his son is just, uh, it brings a tear to my eye. I did cry at one point during this episode. So bonus points to anyone who can identify when it happens. And if you send me a PM or a message on Instagram or Facebook, I promise you I'll send some swag if you can figure out when that actually occurs. But um, it's hard not to get emotional talking about Bill and Logan um, and the love and joy that they bring to the running community and to everyone around them um, in Hickory, North Carolina, at races they travel to, um, in and around that community with his beautiful wife, Carol, and their family and their close friends, Anna Boone, and people from that Hickory, North Carolina area. They're just so deeply embedded. And uh, also the Conover School um, that's taken such good care of Logan. Um, they've done a lot of fundraising and helped get some things done down there in that community. They're super special. So this episode is long. It's powerful. It's filled with incredibly practical advice and the love and joy um, that is shared in this episode is genuine, it's real, and I hope you all can tap into it in these times when we need it most because there's just so much goodness in Bill and in his family and what they deliver to the community. They give a lot more out there to others um, than most, and it's just wonderful to be part of what they're doing. Um, and I just, I hope you all enjoy this uh, chat, this conversation as much as Bill and I did, because it was a beautiful thing. So I, uh, without further ado, let's dive on in and I hope you all enjoy it. Dr. Bill Johncock, it's so good to see you. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm doing great, Ron. How are you doing, bro? Oh, it's I'm doing really, really well. And obviously, I'm doing so much better that I finally got you to come on the show. And we're gonna we're finally making this actually happen. We're making it happen, brother. I'm excited to be on here. I appreciate you asking me to be on, Ron. Yeah, it's uh well you I think in these uh, the times that we're in right now, Bill, uh, with everybody uh, struggling so mightily with COVID and uh, everybody just trying to find the silver lining in life, I just couldn't think of a better guest in the whole world that I could possibly have on this show than you in terms of what you bring to life every single day. Um, and not just with Logan, the two of you in the dynamic duo, but just how you live your life, how you're in the community and you're embedded down there, what you do as a doctor, what you do as a runner, and what you do as a coach. Um, for young kids in the community. So um, that's important to me. And so that's why this episode is special because we need to have more people like you that are out there doing good things in the community. Thanks so much, Ron. I just, um, I'm blessed uh, to be around great people and and I don't think I've got a lot for myself to say, but, but uh, having a lot of great people around me always helps. So people like you that influence me. Oh, you, you have a great team. Uh, and certainly your wife is uh, a huge part of that. Yeah, you got that right. You you picked you picked a good one, brother. Amen. <laughs> you, you really did. So um, for everybody at home, uh, Dr. Bill Johncock is from Hickory, North Carolina. 
uh, we've gotten to know each other through a couple of different uh, running groups, Facebook running groups, Strava, and most recently, um, we're pretty closely connected with the uh, Team O'Leary Racing Team uh, page, and a lot of those uh, runners that we're connected with are either coached by Brendan O'Leary or Casey Kilaraski, and it's just a, a page where we focus so much on positivity, and uh, Dr. Bill and Logan are, are just inspirational leaders for us. And I uh, just was so excited uh, when I got a chance to, when Tokyo got washed out, talking about the silver linings, you know, getting the chance to go over there, having that eliminated. That gave me the opportunity to go down to Atlanta and not only get to see Casey from our team run in person and hang out with Brendan and Stephanie and so many other from our squad, but I actually got to meet you guys in person. So that was a huge silver lining and good stuff. And uh, I think first place to start, tell everybody what kind of doctor you are, Bill, first. I'm a podiatrist, foot doctor, the guy that looks at feet all day long. So <laughs> sounds exciting, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm sure you're treating a lot of runners in your practice, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love to treat runners. And of course, that's part of what got me into what I'm I'm doing. I always tell folks it kind of uh, became cheaper to become the podiatrist and keep going to see one. So yeah, this, you, were sa you were saving on both ends, right? Amen. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I think one of the first places to start is, um, and I, I'm, when I say the word prolific, this is a truly prolific running family. Um, and I think we all get a start somewhere in life, Bill. Um, sometimes it's fo following a dad or, or a mom, or it could be a sibling, a brother or a sister, um, or you know maybe a really close family friend who is just really talented at something kind of pulls us in. And then that becomes our area of focus and we want to become talented. We want to put the effort and work in and, you know, just reading uh, through your running resume and learning some of the things that you've accomplished. And then, of course, your dad. I just thought it'd be a natural place to start with your dad's running history and, you know, how that influenced you and getting into running. Well, a little bit interesting in that is that uh, I started running when I was 13 and my dad hadn't started running yet at that point in time. So I had an older brother that was 18. I have four brothers. Um, uh, three of them are, are uh, older than I am, five, seven, and nine years older and one younger brother. So my next older brother was all-state tailback in football. And he and his football buddies are going to do the local eight-mile run uh, at our high school. So they all had ma matching outfits and uh, – they, they knew they were going to be on the front page of the, the local newspaper because they always put the start of this race out there. So these guys had all got on and, you know, they're looking good at the front line. They all take out. My brother's a fast sprinter, so he's, you know, the first and the fastest in the group. So um, anyway, my brother was going to do this. And, and uh, I, at 13, asked my dad if I could do it as well. And uh, my younger brother, who was 11, at the time, he said he wanted to do it, too. He said, well, Dad said, well, you guys got to train for this. It's eight miles. You can't just go out and do this. So we had I lived out in a rural area, and it was a little gravel road, and it was about a mile around. So we ran around once and increased our mileage gradually. And by the race day, we could be able to do eight miles. And my, my fat father, like I said, he hadn't run yet, and he went out with us one day. My dad was an old military guy. He went out, he did push-ups, he did calisthenics, what he said, push-ups and sit-ups and jumping jacks, and, but he didn't really run. And so uh, he went out with us one day and he ran a mile, which was pretty good for somebody who hadn't run at all. 
Uh, but he got done and he was so sore the next day he could hardly get up and down. And he said, well, it's going to take me longer to get in shape than you young, young bucks. So he was 49 at that time. And he said, by the day of that race next year, I'm going to do it. So that day, uh, you know, they take off. And like I say, my old, older brother, he sprints out with his buddies. And about two miles into the run, I catch up with these guys and, and uh, I pass them. And his buddies are saying, man, uh, your little brother's passing you. And you have to understand, my brother was an amazing athlete. Like I say, all-state football player, all-conference basketball player, all-conference track sprinter. Uh, high jumper, long jumper. I mean, he was just a great athlete. He was valedictorian uh, of his high school class. I mean, he was all homecoming king. You know, he was just great and a really nice guy. Some some of those folks are just, oh, I hate this guy because he's so obnoxious. He's a really good guy. Well, I had never beaten my brother in anything in my life. And uh, in Marvels, he had let me win. And so I went out and uh, he said, well, I'll catch him later. Don't worry about it. And I never saw him again. And so I finally figured out, maybe I'm good at something here. And so anyway, I took off and, you know, and, and I had a good day that day. And um, the next year, my father ran with us and he uh, he got himself in shape and he had some old Hush Puppy uh, shoes. I don't know if anybody else remembers Hush Puppy shoes. I do. Going back quite a few years. So and uh, he didn't even get running shoes. And he wore those and ran that first race, and he just loved it. And uh, yeah, I, I can remember after the race, somebody asked him, well, uh, are we going to do a marathon? And he just laughed, oh, I'll never do one of those things. Well, um, after that, we kept doing uh, some shorter races, and, and um, uh, Dad really found a love for running. And, you know, Dad was just an amazing guy. He raised five boys. Anybody that can do that. Um, and uh, that was just kind of a bond that he and I had. Um, and I guess when you're a, a one of five boys, you're always kind of looking for a bond with your dad. I mean, how can we connect? How can, and, and my dad, you know, he was just a busy guy. He had to work a lot of hours. And so that gave us a special bond that way. And so two years later, after we had run, my dad, uh, I was okay in running, but my dad really uh, started doing well in a lot of age group stuff and was really running fast. And so uh, two years, well, it would have been a year after he started, he decided he was going to do a marathon. I said, well, I want to do the marathon with you. And he really tried to discourage me. He said, I don't think you should do a marathon. You're just 15 years old. And uh, I said, I really want to do it. And he said, well, he kept setting these goals for me and he, he'd say, well, you've got to run this fast at this far. And so I, I'd make that goal. And he said, well, well, now the final goal was I had to do 20 miles under three hours. He said, unless you do 20 miles under three hours, I'm not letting you do this. So I went out and I'm, I'm just, I'm a grinder. I wasn't a great athlete like my brother, but I was a grinder and I, I worked and I, I just worked really hard and I got that. And he's like, well, I guess I told you I'd let you do it. I guess I have to let you do it. So he and I ran the first uh, 20 plus miles of that marathon. That was a little small marathon in rural Michigan. Um, it was uh, run for apple country uh, in uh, Allendale, Michigan. And uh, that day we ran about 23, uh, 22, 23 miles together. 
And uh, a guy around his age passed him and he had been dad, you know, I was starting to get tired. And so dad, dad sees this guy and I could tell he was checking him out. You know, I think he might be in my age group. I said, dad, you can go catch him. And he said, no, no, I'm going to stay with you. And he said, no, no, dad, you go ahead and get him. I'll be okay. And I was getting tired, but you know, I knew I'd be all right. And so he said, you sure? And I said, yeah. And so he took off and of course he runs him down in, in classic Jerry Johncock fashion and and uh, gets through it. And, I'm, you know, so he, he uh, got finished and he was uh, waiting there afterwards. He said, well, I better go out and run in, Bill. And at that time I came across. So it was a little over three hours and 30 minutes. So he was I think he was under 330 and I was a little over 330. And so um, but anyway, that was our, our start. And then we kept running a lots of races together. My dad, from the age of 50 to 60, he kept improving and, and uh, getting better. And he, you know, age group races. And at the age of 60, he kept all the way improving till, till he was 60 years old. And when he was 60, he ran under 301 twice, but he never broke three hours. He was that close, but, uh, um, but he, he didn't quite get there. That was always a goal for him, but obviously he was a, he was a great runner, but I always tell folks that actually my dad took running after me. I didn't take running after my dad. So, but obviously we had a special connection there and, and, uh, we've always shared that love for running and he, he, he's just, he's just so amazing. My dad's done 116 marathons and you have to imagine from the age of 50 to the age of 85, that he did those marathons. Uh, when he was 80 years old, dad ran under four hours at the age of 80. He did 359, set the American record at that time uh, for for the uh, 80 to 84 year old age group, uh, set the American record for 50K. I mean, he was, uh, you know, just amazing. Um, dad's now 92. Um, and, uh, he still says he runs, it's not quite as fast as it used to be, but, um, life's just been hard. You know, when you get to 90 plus, it, it just becomes difficult, but, um, I still love my dad. He's a, he's an amazing guy and, uh, call him just about every week and try to check up on him. And, and, uh, you know, I had amazing parents and, and just blessed in that way. Bill, that is absolutely Amazing stuff. I mean, honestly, anybody who's going to be listening to this podcast is going to start banging themselves in the head a couple of times and going like, what? What did he just say? He did what? I mean, to not start until you're 50 and for you to be 13, right? And I think he put some gates out there in front of you, which was really smart. He wasn't trying to discourage you by any means, but he was not going to just let you go forth with this if you hadn't shown that you were going to be able to hold up and you were healthy and you weren't hurting yourself. And, you know, from that generation, I have a lot of friends that I run with back home from New York and Central Park Track Club who ran marathons at your age as well. I was a high school and college baseball player. I didn't even begin my running much earlier than your dad, like mid-30s, like 33, 34 or something like that. That is, that is just remarkable to start that late in life with your dad and to accomplish that much and to run 301 in his 60s. I mean, other than like Gene Dykes, there's not too many people, you know, throwing down times faster than that in that age group. That's that's really impressive stuff. That's like national class, um, you know, world-class age group type of stuff. So really, really good stuff. And I understand where you're coming from. Five of you, we were three, 
and my mom was raising us. So your dad was raising five boys. I know what that was like, man. We, we, I'd stand at a table if I had you to get my mom's attention. You know, I'd be yelling, Hey mom, I'm over here. Like, you know, I'm the middle guy. And you know, my older brother was twice my size and my younger brother. So, you know, you're like, Hey, how do I, how do I get this lady's attention? So, you know, there was your, there was your opportunity to get your dad, you know, one-on-one, you have a brother who's like, you know, all American and literally everything and a nice guy. And you know, there it is. Your, your bond was formed. So, uh, so, so good on you. Good stuff. Super cool. Yeah, I think it was very cool. And and, uh, another special bond I've had is with my younger brother who started running around that time. And he actually, my younger brother, Mark, he actually pushed me as well. Um, He was a better runner than I was when uh, through high school years. I, I mean, I would beat him just because I was a couple years older than he was. But he actually threw down a 335 marathon before I was even able to to run very fast and so you know it's kind of stayed in the family um so you know we just had that uh, running uh legacy together so it's just just um uh, a fun thing to to have as a family oh yeah and it's also beautiful to see that your dad's kept at it all the way up to you know 92 i mean you know it's it's remarkable um you know it, it's wonderful and it's something that if we can hold on to it at any level, I mean, I don't care if you're running a mile, if you're walking, you're walking, running, whatever you're doing something, if you're moving through space and time and you're exercising, it's, it gives us that good feeling and it it's wonderful. And, um, you know, look at, look at, I don't know very many people that started as early as you, but a lot of times if they did start as early as you, they burnt out, they lost their love for the sport. They lost their real passion to want to train, to want to keep working, or maybe they hit, you know, some amazing times, which you have an incredible running resume. And we're going to, we're going to dive into that for sure. But maybe when, after they hit some of their big running goals and their, their fastest times, they lost that true drive and love for the sport. And I know that you're exactly the opposite, which is how I am too, because I'll never run as fast as I did in my mid thirties or even in my mid forties, but I love the sport as much or more. In fact, I, I would say more with certainty. I love it more now than I ever did. And I know that you do as well. So tell everybody, so 13 years old, you run a little over 330. Um, tell, tell the listeners how you qualified for your first Boston, uh, because I know you ran that with your dad when you were 15, right? You ran your first Boston at 15? Uh, my first marathon was in 15 when I was 15. That's right. Now I mixed it up. Yeah. Your first Boston, you were 19, 19. Yeah. Correct. So 19. And of course you can't run Boston until you're 18 or at least you couldn't then. Um, so I qualified when I was 18 and then ran when I was 19. So once again, it was that little tiny run, uh, the, the run through apple country in Michigan. Did. Up in Michigan, and uh, I went out and ran that day. And uh, for whatever reason, I can't remember. Dad didn't run that day in the race, and I ran. And um, I can't remember if he had an injury or he had something that else was going on. And so, anyway, I ran, and I got to about mile twenty-four. And you know how it is—you're just grinding it out. And I'm—I'm like. you know, two minutes under pace. I don't have a lot of time to spare and it hits a hilly part of the course. You hit uh, about a mile, mile and a half of hills and I started cramping up. 
And, oh. you know, you're like, I can't afford to lose much time here. And my dad came along. We had this old van and he's driving alongside me, you know, during the race. And like I say, this is way out in the middle of boonies, you know, there's hardly any other people. There's probably nobody within, you know, two minutes of me. So it's not like, hey, he's weaving in and out of yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, he comes up along me and he says, well, you want me to turn up the music here? It's some lively music. Uh, just, just, just pray for me. I, I'm camping up. I'm dying here, Dad. <laughs> He said, well, I'll pray for you, a kid. And so anyway, you're all right. Yeah, I'll get out there. I'll be okay. And and that day I ran uh, 248.30 approximately, which at that time you had to run under 250 to qualify. Yes. So it, it wasn't an easy task by any means, but I was able to qualify then. And um, uh, one of the beautiful things was that allowed me and dad had already qualified. He had already run in other races. So we had already been able to run fast enough to qualify, but that got us both there so that we could run, uh, that year when I was 19. Now, which marathon that, so sub two fifty, two forty eight something gets you in punches your ticket to run your first Boston with your dad. So you're both going to go there, which is amazing and just just incredible. Like chills, chills uh, hearing you talk about it. How many marathons did you run between your first one, which was a little over 330, and that one where you where you broke uh, 250 and qualified for Boston? I believe I had run four marathons in, in the interim in between. So um, I usually would try to run one a year, but I was also running cross country at the same time in high school. So it was usually after cross country season. And then I tried to do some longer runs in between. And, and uh, that one, that one was by far, I think that was a PR by like 15 minutes or something like that. So it was a pretty significant, but I knew I was getting stronger after that. So I thought I, you know, I had the inkling that I could potentially uh, get, get to that place. But uh, I think it was about four marathons. That is, it's such a neat story because you weren't running with your dad. So this, this race, you're out there on your own. And you said, you know, as you're recalling the anecdotes of uh, the day, you know, you're somewhere between two minutes ahead of somebody. There wasn't anybody close to you. So you weren't working in a pack and your dad rolls up in the van and says, should I blast the music? I mean, this is, this is a trip back in time because I could, I'm old enough to remember back. Some of the people may not be, but yeah, I mean, how cool is that, that he could roll up in his van and, and for anybody listening, this is not like the Morton gel generation or give me a goo type of thing. I mean, we had water and we were lucky if we even had something like Gatorade out there, you know, as a drink. I mean, there was definitely always plenty of water, but there wasn't always, not always. And those races were was it a guarantee? It wasn't until New York and some of these other races really became significantly larger where, um, you know, you would see Poland Spring become the water bottle sponsor of New York for many, many years and then Gatorade. And then that kind of started that whole tradition of companies wanting to, you know, get involved in the sponsorship game and see what the participation numbers were and then see the, the kind of purses and gates and money, you know, was starting to come into the sport. Uh, but back then you're rolling out there by yourself, brother. Yeah, I you know the the big thing back then was orange slices. So they'd have orange slices because you didn't have yeah Gatorade and that might help you, but you didn't like you said you no gels or anything else. So you're not getting any carbohydrates. 
So orange slices, you know, you'd be sucking a couple of orange slices as they're handing them out at aid stations, or maybe there's some guy standing there, hey, you want an orange slice? You know, uh, you know and, and so it's Billy Bob that was sitting out at the 23-mile mark, you know, say, hey, you got, got a couple here, or uh, you want a couple of gummy bears? Or, oh, yeah, just whatever you got, I need some sugar, m and I just... Whatever you can give me right now, I'm bonking, baby. And I didn't even know what bonking was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We didn't even know what the term was. But yeah, if gummy bears were the choice versus orange slices, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all over the gummy bears. Man. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah, send send that over. I'll give you a quick, funny orange slice story. Boston, my first Boston, which was 95, not the 100th. I'm sorry, 99. Um, no, 96 is the 100th. 1995, I was right the first time, which was the 99th race. And maybe around 23 or 24, you know, you, you know, in Boston, it's very common for the spectators to give things out, you know, along the way, whether it's water, um, orange slices, bananas, popsicles, all sorts of things. And, you know, it's always been, you know, Hey, if you need something, you take it. And this little boy and his, and his little sister were out there and they're like halfway into the road and they just wanted somebody to take their stuff, you know, was orange slices. I'm like, okay, I got this. I'll take an orange slice. So I grab it. And I just go to, you know, get it from the skin. So I push a little too hard in the orange and Bill, it squirts like directly into my eye. Now, mind you, I have contact lenses. My contact lens is literally just like shriveled up, like right in front of me. Like it went into a ball and just like, I could see it fall right out of my eye. So with about two or two and a half miles to go, I have like one eye open, one eye closed and I'm, I'm squinting. I wish people could see, you know, this is a podcast, which is audio, but I wish they could see the zoom. I might have to record this piece, but there I am running with like one eye open, one eye closed. Finally, I'm like, I can't see anyway. I'm just going to take the other one out. So another genius move, you know, Ron, I'm, I'm, I'm famous for doing smart moves on the course. So I picked the other contact lens out and chucked it. And then I really couldn't basically see anything, but at least I wasn't, you know, seeing half out of one eye and half out of the other. So yeah, good good old fashioned war stories, but yeah, yeah, good stuff. So tell us. Uh, so now at nineteen, you're going to get a chance to run this first Boston with your dad. Tell us about what year that was and and what that experience was like. So it's 1984, and uh, so that you got to remember, this is quite a while back, and um, they didn't have all the accoutrements uh, to to you know get you out there and do everything. So. My dad managed uh, my my dad he was a pretty forward person. He would talk to people. So that old van that he drove to to uh, yell at me during the uh, qualifying race there, uh, we drove that all the way out to Boston from Michigan, and we found somebody out in Hopkinton that let us uh, stay out in their parking lot during the night. And uh, I remember we went out to Hopkinton and we ended up driving the course, but before we went out there, um, we decided that uh, we wanted some gloves to wear and we, we only had some really big thick gloves for Michigan and it was, uh, we needed gloves, but the lighter gloves. So, uh, we went into the local, um, hardware store and they're in Hopkinton and we buy some, some white, you know, gardening gloves. And while we're going in there, um, there's John Kelly and he's standing in there. Uh, Johnny Kelly, the younger, but he's not so young at that that stage. And I'm like, Dad, that's Johnny <laughs> Kelly. And he's like, Johnny Kelly? I said, yeah, the guy won, has won the, the Boston. He's running all these times. You really think it's him? I said, yeah. He says, you want to go say hi to him? I'm like, I don't know this guy. And so Dad's never met a stranger. He walks up to him. Hey, Mr. Kelly. Oh, yeah. And he just, he was as nice as you could be. It was just like talking to you and I, Ron. I mean, he was just 
so nice. How you guys doing? How's your training been? And and uh, he was just such a, uh, a great guy. And, and I mean, it was just uh, one of those chance meetings that, you know, today it could probably never happen that, you know, you're not in Hopkinton at the, the hardware store. And I think he was just looking for some gardening equipment or something. I don't know why, why he was in there that day, but it was uh, it was amazing for us to be out there. So, and then we end up staying in the van overnight at somebody's house that we just, my dad walked in and, and asked if we could stay there. So uh, we just stayed out there and then we managed to get a ride back afterwards, back to Hopkinton, because we, we didn't have a way back out there. So, but um but it was it was such a rush to to be there with him and and uh, the crowds and you know back then you know hey you don't have timing chips so everybody takes off together it's just everybody the one mass of people um, you know no chips or anything else whenever you finish that was your time and so you could be towards the back of the pack and you might be you know five ten fifteen minutes. But that's your time. Your time is your time because you just don't have any other way of timing it. And uh, it was a it was a kind of a rainy day, and uh, I had trained pretty well for that. Um, but I don't think I, I had trained where I grew up. There were a lot of hills, but I hadn't trained to do the downhills. And that section after Heartbreak Hill, where you start hitting downhill, Cleveland Circle. Really got, yeah, yeah. When when you bomb down BC. After you scale heartbreak at twenty one, Cleveland Circle. That's uh, that's you. That's when you actually find out if you have anything left in your legs. Now it's not about cardio. You're right. A lot of times at that point, if you have anything left, you can hammer from there. But if not, you're just like, oh boy, you're in trouble. That guy that's sitting there pounding on your quadriceps with ball peen hammer. You're just feeling like each step that's going down. And and uh, I ran around two forty eight and change that day. I actually ran. I was hoping for a PR. I ran just a little bit slower than I did. I would think it was like 20 or 248.44. So I was just a little bit slower than I had been at my qualifying run. I can't remember what dad's time was that day, but I was 19 and he was he was 55 at that time when, when we did that run together. So that was obviously a special bonding experience for us to uh, father and son, how many fathers and sons can go out and run the Boston Marathon together? I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. So, I, I mean, it's, it's first off the, the story with Johnny Kelly in the hardware store in Hopkinton is just, it's, it's easily by far the best story that's been told on run chat so far. And I don't know if it's ever going to get beaten. Uh, Joy Donahue listens to the show, good friend of ours uh, that we know from uh, various running groups and uh, is a, a mainstay in the Hopkinton community, does a lot uh, fundraising and, and does a lot of charitable work in that community. And I can't wait to hear her reaction to that story right there, because uh, I have no doubt that that same hardware store is still open in, in Hopkinton without a doubt. And who knows, somebody, somebody from who might be listening to this might remember that this was a tradition of Johnny's, like maybe to just go in there, like you said, the day before, because things were just so low key back then, Bill. And um, the reverence for the runners had, it was always there with Boston. Other races, it's taken a really long time for, to get that massive feel and pull of what it feels like to, you know, run the five boroughs of New York and the crowds are amazing and all, but Boston runners are revered. You walk around 
you know, the expo a couple days before and like literally anyone will talk to you. Oh, you're running the race. Oh, how what race is this one for you? What number are you on? Oh, what's your best time? Like literally anybody and everybody will talk to you. So to go back that far with, with Johnny Kelly and have that kind of experience and then to park a car, you know, park a van in somebody's home in Hopkinton and have to get a ride back is, uh, that's legendary, but Let's let's cut to the race itself. Did you guys run together? Did you have a plan, or did you just take off and do your own races? How did that go? Now we had um, my dad at that point wasn't running quite as fast as I was. So you know, in the beginning, Dad actually after about a year he was he was running faster than I did for a number of years. And then I guess it was probably my junior or senior year in high school I started running faster than he was. And he said, "No, you just go out and do your own race and, and do that." So. Like I say, we we weren't planning to stay together. Uh, I think we we stayed close to each other at the starting line, but after that, he knew I was planning to take off, and and I didn't feel like oh I need to hold up for him, and and we had we just ran our own races that day. But um, he he even back then, uh, interesting thing years later. I hate to jump up too much, but he always had wanted to win Boston for his age group, and. Uh, he took second one time, but he was never able to, to actually win the age group officially. Um, I think we went back, it was maybe three years later, and um, he was beat by a Kizo Yamada. Kizo Yamada was from Japan, and he had actually won uh, the Boston Marathon. So if you were a past Boston Marathon winner, you were allowed to get right up in the front with the front group, which, you know, it's appropriate. But like I say, there were no uh, chip times no chip times or anything else. And so we were probably, or Ed was probably, um, you know, four or five minutes behind him. And Ed finished behind him by like less than a minute. But because there were no chip times or anything else, Ed still ended up not, not winning the age group. But, you know, in the real world, you know, you would have said, well, he ran actually faster, but, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, to be that close and not be able to do it. But he, he took second place. I think that was around 19. I can't remember what year that was. I think it was early 90s. That, that uh, so. But anyway, it was just an interesting thing. But on that day in 1984, we just each did our own races and and then, of course, you got to try to find each other. You don't have cell phones in that day. So you got to <laughs> say, hey, you got to meet me such and such a place. And you can't move because if you move, we can't find each other. And we're just never going to find each other. And goodness knows you hope nobody gets hurt or gets hypothermic or whatever it is because, you know, you got to try to find each other. So it's a different world. It, re- it really is. Well, that's... um. That's special stuff, man. I got to tell you, um, what an amazing connection to have with your dad. And for him to basically, well, yeah, he didn't win the crown that day and win the age group, but we all know he did. And that's a former Boston Marathon champion. I think that has way more juice, the fact that it happened the way it did. And yeah, it was many, many years. Um, even when chips first came out, a lot of times that didn't actually count as your official time anyway. They still went with the gun time and they would list it on your plaque or whatever. But I'm telling you, I, I try to explain this to people that aren't from our age group and they just don't get it. They're like, well, you ran that. That's your chip time. Oh, well, no, nah, they didn't actually count that. 
I'm like, <laughs> that's my, I actually ran a chip time of that, but my official time is actually 240. It wasn't below 240 because they didn't count those. I'm like, well, why didn't they count them? Why did they use a chip? Well, that's <laughs> the way it worked. I mean, you know, I'm not saying you, everything was perfect or you agree with it, but that's just the way it worked. And, you know, in your dad's case, I'm sure he wouldn't count it as winning the age group because that's the, what the rules were, but we all know he ran a faster time and that's an amazing, absolutely amazing war story. Like super, super uh, good stuff. So 248, 19 years old, debut Boston. You know you've run six. What's your fastest Boston? Um, my fastest Boston, uh, let's see, was, let's see. I, I can't remember. I know in 1996, you kicked my butt. Uh, at the hundredth Boston, I ran two forty four there. I think you were two forty two and change. Two forty one. I mean, again, that's what you know. They it's two forty one fifty three, but on the plaque because they do. They literally would list your clock time, which was two forty two twelve, or that's what you saw in the overhead. But yeah, it was two forty one fifty three. I would hardly call that kicking your butt there, brother. That was uh, we were close, man. We we should have been hanging out together. We didn't know any better. I, I'll just say, I don't think I beat that time. I think you were always faster at Boston than I am. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> except let's just tell everybody that your lifetime PR is 234. So you completely flatten my flatten my butt there, my friend. So 234, which you ran in 1990 in Chicago, right? Yeah, it's 1990 in Chicago. I was in podiatry school uh, in Chicago at that time. That is, that's really, really amazing stuff. And for everybody at home, that's like well under six minutes per mile pace, like probably 550, 551, something like that, I'm guessing, or five, you know, low. I think it's 554. Not bad for not having a calculator in front of me, brother. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was trying to give you <laughs> a little extra, I was trying to give you a little extra love, but you yeah. just, you wanted yeah. to take it yeah. away. So <laughs> now, now we do know your dad has the crazy legacy, but man, you have a crazy legacy as well. You've run over 104 marathons or greater distance. You've run a hundred miler. So I know you've done, you know, ultras and things of that nature, but I mean, what a, what a running, you know, resume you put together, what a running CV you put together, um, and your, you know, your longevity and your talent and the grit, uh, it speaks for itself. But I think one of the really cool things that I'd like to get into a little before we get to the real star of the show, which is you and Logan working together, um, and we'll lead into all of that. But uh, talk a little about your coaching, because I know how important that is to you and uh, you know the imprint that you get the chance to leave on the kids in your community back home. So talk a little about your coaching history. Well, I basically coached middle school and high school at a local Christian school um, where my, my kids went. Uh, Hickory Christian Academy, and um, you know it's it's a small, like I say, Christian school. So there's not exactly you know 50 people that are are uh, vying for that position of of coach. And so they started the program um, one year. I was assistant coach in 2012. I had one of my good friends, Dave Lowry, who was also a physician. He talked me into it, and he said, "Well, he said I'll be the coach." But I just would like you to to be my assistant, give me some training plans, and when you can come out and help me out. Well, that happened the first year, and um, his kids were he had he, uh, he has six kids, and they're all amazing runners, and and that was pretty much our cross country team. Uh, we threw in a few other folks, but but uh, then the next year 
he ended up, uh, the hospital where he was working at, um, ended up getting rid of that position that he was at as a hospitalist and brought in other people. And so he ended up having to go to another hospital. And he said, well, I can't coach anymore. Uh, it'd be really great if you took over the head coaching position. I'm like, dang, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm going to get thrown into this. And and uh, I'm really like, I don't have the time to do this. He's like, like I had the time. I said, I know. But and so anyway, I, I took it on and I had some of the most amazing um, help as as coaches. Like I say, I, I'm so blessed with people around me. I had uh, a couple of the running moms that would go and, and if I couldn't make it to practices, they would be there. And, and I coached. Um, my son was on the team. Uh, Drake, who is my oldest, he's 25 now. And I basically coached him from when he was in fifth grade till he eventually graduated um, in uh, 2013. So I coached for um, seven seasons, six of them as as the head coach there. And so it was just, I think one of the neat things at that time, I know how influential coaches were in my life when I was in school and uh, especially during the middle school and high school years. And a lot of times I listened to my coaches more than I did my parents. And, and I probably shouldn't have, but I, I did. And um, it was um, probably in my whole life, I would say it was my greatest opportunity to mentor other people in my entire life. It was just uh, incredible times and, and just being able to speak into their lives. And, and uh, we just try to do create a community of runners and, and running can be very individual and solo sport. And uh, I had been in under coaches that were coaching that way, you know, in high school and so forth. And they never, you know, everybody kind of stretched on their own. Everybody did their own thing, but um, I really tried to get everybody in together. We stretched together. And then when the faster guy got done, he didn't sit around and wait for all of his accolades. I'd say, go back out of the court, courts and, and cheer the next person in and, and cheer the next person in. And we, we just created uh, a culture where it wasn't about the individual, but it was about the team as a whole. And, and I mean, it was just uh, um, great opportunities. My wife helped so much during those years. And my wife has never been a, a much of a runner. She tried. She would run with the middle schoolers uh, until they would all get faster than her, and then she'd quit. <laughs> but she would be out there helping them during the summer. And and uh, you know, I had Dana Lowry and Charlotte Hartman that were two people that helped out a ton, and we just had a great camaraderie of people, and and it just worked. And, and uh, I mean, like you say, some great runners and these kids are still kids. I say kids, they're, they're young adults like my son, he's 25. And some of these kids are older than that. But, you know, I've been invited to weddings and uh, they just tell me, you know, an influence that I had on them. And some of them, I'm like, I didn't think I had any influence on you at all because you were sitting there screwing off in the background while I was trying to do stuff. And no, no, you know, you were really influential. And it's great to hear those things that you can have input into other people's lives. And, and, um, you know, I, I just, I was, I'm just so blessed to have that time of being able to coach and had great runners and uh, my guys had a lot of success. It, I was a better guys coach than I was a girls coach. It took me a, a while to figure out how to do the girls, um, 
I figured out the girls was uh, it was uh, a lot more about the social aspect. So if I could get them to get together and run over a social aspect of it in high school, then I could get them to actually train together. But if you haven't trained at all during the summer and then you come in for the season, then I'm spending half the time either trying to fix your injury or trying to get you in shape. And and so once I kind of figured that out and had a couple of the other girls say, hey, you need to start inviting these other girls to come out and train during the summer. That's when we really started to have more success. But like I say, it was just a fantastic opportunity to, to speak into their lives. And, and um, like I say, I just had some amazing people around me. Well, it's that's um, a lot of times I'll ask a runner, uh, do they what what feels more rewarding, you know, their own, you know, personal accomplishment, a PR or a race, or, you know, when you've coached someone to, to a specific event, but I, there's really no point in asking because it's so incredibly uh, clear, you know, from your responses, just how rewarding an experience it was for you and how much that you got back from it. And that's wonderful. Cause um, sometimes when I do talk to other runners who happen to coach as well, I feel like, um, you know, I, I wonder if they're getting as much back from it as they could. And I think that's like a little bit of a lost opportunity because I think sometimes some of the coaches out there and there's amazing coaches and they have incredible skill set and they have ability to write programs and all this wonderful stuff. But it should never be just about if the runner that you're working with runs a PR or hits a personal best. There's so much more to the coach runner relationship. And whether that's just an internet connection um, and you're never actually going to meet that person face to face. Like you had the opportunity to, to meet these young boys and girls and work with them, you know, throughout a school year, let's say, and even over the summer, you had the opportunity to influence them. It's got to be about more than that. Uh, and it's really helping them get stronger in some aspect of their life. Okay. So it may not be about running faster. Maybe it's about running more miles or going a further distance, or maybe it's about going shorter and faster, but whatever it is, that success as a coach should never just be about if your runner is, you know, hitting certain milestones. It should just be about what, you know, what that relationship is like and are you growing together? Um, because, you know, look at some of the results that are out there. Some runners just take a really long time to blossom. And sometimes it's that they physically have the ability, but mentally they're just not really ready to push through and break through um, or injuries are getting in the way or, or many, many other things. Maybe their home life isn't in a really stable place. So I just think it makes me really happy to hear you talk about your coaching experience in that way, because obviously you got so much out of it personally, but obviously those kids did as well. Yeah. Thanks, Ron. I think um, some of the highlights during that time was I, I used to, uh, I used to do uh, pizza with coach John Cock. And so I take my, my uh, captains on the team, the high school and the middle school guys and girls captains. And I would, every week we would meet at my house and we would have pizza and I would just talk to them. And I say, you know, how can you influence the people that are younger than you? And how can you be a positive influence on these folks? And so, you know, you're trying to teach them the life skills. Life's not all about you. It isn't. And and once again, running can be very individualistic and, and we can, you know, I've, I've spent my time trying to, to reach PRs and run hard and do lots of mileage. But, you know, when we can input and, and speak into somebody else's life, you know, you just don't realize the influence you have on somebody else. And, and 
I said, you know, you as the older captains, you have the influence on the younger kids on the team and you have the influence uh, high schoolers with the middle schoolers in, in trying to bring this group together. And some of those, you know, meeting and talking and, and just having a good time at our house, you know, having pizza together. I mean, it's just some of the some of the great times that, you know, it's just where you're bonding together. And I just have some awesome memories. And, you know, I think what three or four of those kids I've gone on and afterwards run marathons with because they've asked me, hey, coach, would you run a marathon with me? And, and, you know, how cool is that? You know, afterwards, you know, being able to run a marathon with these kids and and they still some of them love running and some of them don't. But, you know, it, it's um, no matter what you do, there's so all of us know that there's so much that you can get out of running. You know, you, you learn about discipline and hard work and, and about teamwork and all of those things that, that we can all get something out of. And that's just it's such uh, a great opportunity to, to do that. Um, it, it was, on the other side, it was really hard. It was challenging as far as having a practice and being able to do that at the same time because, you know, weekends and, and uh, uh, after work and having to get out of work early and trying to work around all those things. But every sacrifice was absolutely worth it just because, of being able to to be there with those kids and and I've got I got a lot more out of it than I'm sure any of them ever would but it's just a a great uh, opportunity we had success as a team we we um my guys team won six state championships in a row now you have to remember that this is little small Christian schools that you're competing against so it's not like winning. New York City state championships and everything else. It's, you know, completely different in kind. But, but you know, if you win six years in a row marbles, you're, you're doing something right as far as that goes. And it, these kids just would buy into, to, hey, this is how we can do this. This is the culture that we can create where we can build into somebody else's life. And, and that's, that's the legacy that I'm really proud of. It's, you know, whether they run another mile again in their life, you know, I, I hope that they do. I hope they see a love for running, but that they they pull those other things that, that um, running can give to you out of that. That's that's the real blessing. So, well, there's so many there's so many life lessons in there, Bill. Um, I always tell people that um, I've had some periods in my life when I couldn't run. I didn't start running till my mid thirties anyway, but um, I've always told anybody that would be willing to listen or care enough to listen, or at least pretend to. Um, now I have a podcast, so I can just talk to random people anyway and talk as long as I want. Uh, and thank God we're a long form chat, Bill, so we can stand as long as we want because <laughs> I'm enjoying this so much. But I think um, what I found out about my own self from my own personal journey that I am the best version of myself when I'm running. It doesn't mean I have to be racing. There were many years there where I was coaching all Ronnie's travel teams, the way you're coaching, you know, these, these boys and girls at uh, HCA. Um, in my experience there, I just didn't feel like I had enough time left to be on a team and have an impact and, and race. But I would not stop running. I continued to run. I enjoyed running. But I'd also have a week where I didn't run a mile. Then I'd also have a, a Saturday where I go out and I'd run 20 miles. And my ex-wife to this day would be like, how could you possibly have taken that many weeks off in a row and just gone out and run or, you know, done a quality of run like that? I'm like, I don't know. I just, you know, sometimes you're just blessed that you have the good, 
ability to stay in there even when you're not like really training. So, so many of those like life lessons that you learned, you know, as a coach or coaching or with your connections with your dad, it's running demands discipline. It requires consistency to be successful. It requires you to be healthy and to be able to consistently put work in over a period of time and and do different things so that your body has the ability to adapt and get stronger and ultimately get faster. And for, for all those things to occur, we have to be really disciplined in life. And whether that's you're a podiatrist or in my case, I work in healthcare technology or you know, you're a fitness trainer at Equinox Sports Club in New York City, whatever your career is, if you're a nurse on the front lines of healthcare, whatever your career is, the people that I'm amazed at is you know, CEOs, you know, people that are in court every day. I know people that have such crazy high power jobs and they're so demanding. You're running a healthcare, you know, you're running your own medical practice. We figure out how and when we're going to get our work done because we love what we're doing. And we know it makes us the best version of ourselves. Bill Johncock becomes the best. I become the best. And the the kids that you work with at HCA, um, your son and many, many other people along the way, even if they're not running anymore, just like you said, they're using the lessons they learned about running and those principles and those best practices in other areas of their life, which is incredibly rewarding. So good job. Well done, Bill. Thanks. Uh, now, you did that yourself though, Ron. You you coached Ronnie's team. How many years were you a baseball coach? Um, Probably about nine years. Yeah, yeah, probably about nine years. Well, which so is, I only did it seven years. You did it nine years. So, yeah. so you know, I mean, those those are sweet years, aren't they? I mean, when you look back and I, I smile like so wide that I feel like the Joker. You know, like literally, like yeah. it feels like my lips are going to split um, because I have, uh, you know, anybody who follows me on Instagram or Facebook knows I I love to take pictures. So um, I just love to take the pictures on the run and I, I take them dead on the run. I'm um, doing this fundraiser for frontline healthcare workers and um, sending meals over to these awesome people that are, they're doing so much for us and, and gr- grinding through such traumatic times and um, exhaustion and all that. And I'm out there running through Times Square and, and the Freedom Tower and, and parts of New York City where normally you, you can't cross a street or there's 50 cars and there's horns and noise and there's literally no one there. And it feels like an outtake of a movie, but when I take those pictures, Bill, it helps me to relax in the run and just enjoy the run because I didn't do that as much when I was in my mid-30s. I was so much more worried about what my watch said, what my clock said, how fast was my tempo run, what was my pace, what was my heart rate. And I still am as competitive as anybody you will ever meet, man. I don't let I never let Ronnie beat me at anything, man. That kid had to earn every single thing. And he can kick my butt in many, many things today. But he, when his, he beat me in his first race was at the Spring Lake Five, which is this huge race in New Jersey at the Jersey Shore. And I mean, incredibly competitive race. I mean, I, I just never for a minute thought that he was going to hold me off. He got ahead of me a few times and, and he pulled away from me on the home stretch. And I was so proud, Bill. And I know you know what that's like as a dad. Um, but yeah, those coaching years, those years are the best. You know how many kids I have sleeping over in my living room would be stepping over bodies on in my basement <laughs> or in the living room and making pancakes for, you know, 20 kids in the morning. And, you know, you just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give any of that back for a second. You know, the last thing you would ever do is say, oh, well, I wish I had a chance to run a few more years when I was a little younger. No way, not a chance. Wouldn't, wouldn't, tr- wouldn't trade any of it. So it was beautiful. So let's skip from your coaching and my coaching, which was baseball, into in 2005, it was a profound year for, for you 
and for Logan, because you guys had the chance to meet Dick and Rick Hoyt at the Boston Marathon that year. And for anybody listening that somehow doesn't know the the Dick Hoyt story, they ran 32 Boston marathons together. Dick was the father and he pushed uh, his son who had cerebral palsy. Um, and the times that they ran in Boston, in my best Boston, which was 241 in the 100th, and I ran um, 244, 245, 246, a bunch, but I never beat my 241 in Boston. I mean, Dick Hoyt, was close to me or even ahead of me in some of those. I think he might have run. He he's right around what my Boston PRs. I'm fairly certain. If we if we took the history out, because you can't. There's certain things you can't search that far back because we're so old. Bill, I don't think you can go on the BAA website and go be you know that far back. But they ran some amazing amazing times uh, in Boston. So you had the chance to meet them that year. And rather than me talk about I, what I know, how that impacted you, you, in your own words, just uh, tell everybody what that was like for you getting the chance to meet them. Well, yeah, it was 2005 and, and uh, I was there at the Boston Expo and I met uh, Rick and Dick and um, uh, it was just Logan at that time, let's see, he was seven years old uh, by that point in time. And uh <sighs> Logan has Angelman syndrome, but before he was actually diagnosed with that, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, and that's that's actually Rick Hoyt's diagnosis. And uh, so, anyway, um, Dick was talking. Uh, there were quite a few people asking him questions, and Rick was kind of by himself, but Rick can communicate with a computer, and I kind of had an opportunity to just talk to, to Rick by himself via the computer, he can't verbally talk, but he can talk through the computer. It, but it was just, you know, I had tears in my eyes because I'm like, you know, hey, he can communicate with me. And, uh, you know, I've got a, I got tears in my eyes just thinking about it. But, um, you know, I, I, in some way, I wish I could communicate with Logan because he can't talk. And, and he can understand certain things. I know he can, but he can't understand and we can't verbalize things together. And I thought, you know, this is so cool that they're able to do this. They have this legacy together um, of doing all these these um, uh, marathons. And they've done, you know, like you say, 32 Bostons, but they've also done an Ironman triathlon. I mean, these guys are, you know, they're studs. But you can see if you ever watch a video, if you haven't seen Rick and Dick Hoyt, pull up a video, Google uh, Team Hoyt or Rick and Dick Hoyt. You see the joy on Rick's face as they're coming through. And I mean, it's just it's just palpable to, to see that joy and that excitement that he has in that moment that uh, he, he experiences there. So anyway, it was just a special um, ability for me to talk to Rick a little bit. And I always thought at that point in time, man, I just love to do things with with Logan. Now, once again, you can't you can't run Boston or you can't ride in Boston until you're an adult. And they always said, well, there's they always said it was an insurance issue at least at that point in time. There's some controversy actually right now because there's a gal that's trying to to get through that and wants to compete with her son. He's qualified, but I think he's only 11 years old. But anyway, all that to say is that, you know, hey, they just told me you can't do it till they're 18. I said, okay, I can't do it till I'm 18. But I said, I'm not going to wait till 18 to to do something special with Logan. 
So at that time, my, my son Logan goes to a special uh, needs school called Conover School. And uh, at that time, um, they were looking to have a, a playground. And uh, the playground that they had was just this old uh, beat up playground that wasn't even made for special needs kids at all. And even if it was for regular kids, you wouldn't hardly send your 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 um, uh, well-developed child out there to play on the monkey bars because you'd afraid they hurt themselves or, you know, something else would happen. And so it was just, just not, not, you know, uh, at all meant for these special needs kids. So they had spent some years and I found out that they had raised a certain amount of money, but these, these playgrounds cost over a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot, but you know, it's for the special needs kids and, and they, they have to have special things to keep them in place, to keep them stable. Um, you know, it's not like you can just put them in a standard slide and, and go down the, the slide. You've got to have things to help them and, and, and um, put them in a swing that has something that uh, has a harness to keep them in place. And so um, anyway, they had raised uh, about $70,000, but they were having a hard time getting that last bit. And so I said, you know, this is a good opportunity. I think I can, you know, help raise some money. And they were trying to raise money through these popcorn sales or, you know, wrapping paper. And, you know, you're making, you know, whatever, $120 and you spend 12 hours sending your kid out doing these types of things. And I'm like, okay, I hate, I hate doing that sort of thing. You know, just, you know, I'm not that I hate raising money, but I just, I'd rather, let's do something that will make a real dent into this thing. And so I said, let me try to raise money. I'm going to do a marathon. I'm going to do the Charlotte marathon in December. And so, you know, that was in April that I met them 2005. So in uh, 2005, I did the Charlotte marathon with Logan and that was our first uh, marathon together. Um, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. We uh, we were, you know, time wasn't an issue. You know, we didn't have to run a specific time. Uh, we ended up doing uh, three hours and thirty nine minutes. But in Charlotte's a fairly hilly course, but you also have to realize that was a younger version of Bill Johncock. So you're talking fifteen years ago. So I was only forty at that time. A young so pop. I was, still, I, I was still, you know easier to get in shape, you know, at 55, I'm, I'm, I'm not the young buck anymore. So, so anyway, it, it was a fun run. I, I had one of my buddies that ran with me. I had a couple bumps in the road when we did it. Uh, for whatever reason, that day, Logan, and he had never done this before, but in the running chair that we were using, he decided to put his foot down on the tire, on the front tire. So, and if you put the foot on the front tire you know it just doesn't roll really well and so my buddy steve he uh steven he he took off he had one of those runner's bits uh elastic bands that go around your waist and he took that off and he actually tied it around logan's legs to keep him from putting his foot on that front tire so you know you know it's hard enough to run a marathon pushing your son over a pretty hilly course but uh, have the, the, the foot on the tire but Anyway, we were able to do that, and initially we were able to raise um, about uh, $10,000 uh, through what happened, and uh, we, it was in the local newspaper, in the Charlotte newspaper, 
and uh, a gentleman read about it, and he said, well, how much do you have to, to reach that goal? And we said, well, the overall goal, we, you know, we need 30,000. We've hit our 10,000 goal, you know, but if you want to give, he said, how much is the exact amount? And he wrote a check for like $30,000 or like $20,000 on the spot. So it put us over the goal. At that point in time, we were able to raise enough money to, to, to do the special needs playground. And it's just been a huge, like I say, this is 15 years ago. It's been a huge benefit to all those kids over the years. And my sweet Logan, you know, he graduates from that school this year, he, even though he's he's uh, going to be 22 when he graduates in, in just a uh, couple weeks, even though that's been a little bit of a change here. But but anyway, that's that's we were able to raise that money, and uh, it was just it was just an awesome experience, and and uh, just so much fun for us to be able to do that together. Well, true to your own legacy. Um, the community is everything with you, your family's everything. And there was your opportunity to really dig in. And, um, the dynamic duo met, uh, the Hoyts and you had role models of like what this could be, or, you know, maybe a way that you guys could have that kind of impact. Maybe, um, maybe that wasn't even a thought at that point. Maybe that wasn't even the, you know, the, the, the a fiber of an idea, like a small particle, but, um, I know the impact the Hoyts have had. I've run past them late in the course and I've heard those cheers and I've had my the hair stand on my end. And to see this guy pushing his son, um, and for those who don't know the story, I'll probably start crying talking about it. But I remember, you know, Dick Hoyt specifically mentioning, you know, a lot of people saying, oh yeah, your son doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's going on. I'm like, no, 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 my son understands. He knows what's going on. And that led him down this path of getting that computer developed, you know, to create like the software and the communication between him and his son. So you're, you couldn't be more right, Bill. Um, there's a lot of parents out there who just are overwhelmed by this kind of thing. It's just too much to handle. They just, they're not bad parents. They're good people. They're just, it's just exhausting, you know, whether their kid has autism or some other sort of difficulty, they just become overwhelmed and, you know, maybe it leads to a divorce and it leads to depression and, and so many other things. And there's so many people that when they're met with this type of crisis in life, that it's just too big for them. They can't handle it. Um, and they, they really are looking at it as like, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my son? Or why did this happen to my daughter? Or why happened to my wife? And as opposed to, this is my family, this is my life. Um, I have to do every single thing in the world I can for Logan, for my wife, for my children. Um, they deserve every bit as much attention um, as anyone else would be. They deserve more. They need more. They're, they're so much, they need so much more from us. So um, what a beautiful um, opportunity for you to meet them and be inspired by them, but then to take action uh, to form the dynamic duo, which by the way, I'm going to have to start an Instagram page for you guys because we we got to get the social media thing going with, with the dynamic duo because you guys spread so much love and joy in the universe and in the world that there's people out there that don't know who you guys are. And I have to make sure that we fix that problem. So I'm I'm coming on board. I'm going to have to help out on the social side. And you see that this, this beautiful gentleman in Charlotte, um, comes forward, you know, just random person, random act of kindness, takes out his checkbook and says, you know, what's the number and fills the gap. And then there, 
the community problem is solved. And you know that's that's the beauty of um, as I've gotten to know you, the kinds of things that you do for Logan, and not just for Logan, for other people in the community, for the kids like Logan who didn't have a prom. And we'll talk a little bit about that stuff as we you know evolve past some of the running stuff. So I just wish. It's hard right now. We're all in such a crappy place and it's so easy to just stay in a funk every single day and say, I don't want to wear a mask or I don't want to stay away from people. I don't want to isolate. I want to go out and do what I want. Well, sometimes we have to make sacrifices for others. Sometimes we have to just say, this is what we have. This is our status quo right now. And I think if more people had the attitude that you do and, uh, and Carol and, um, you know, how you handled the whole situation with Logan. And, you know, I got to give a shout out to Anna Boone, of course, because, you know, she's uh, your number one fans down there in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, uh, you know, she's so involved with what you guys do and just has such a deep love and connection with you guys and asked us to do videos for you before you ran the Marathon of Hope. So why don't we do a little segue into that? Um, uh, you know, with Boston canceling or not canceling, but being postponed and the odds, you know, obviously are not good. Um, we all know there's not going to be any vaccine out anytime soon, or at least not if at the most optimistic of pro projections, maybe by the end of this year or early next year. So the likelihood of any of these actual fall marathons occurring are probably not good. So most people, when they have this opportunity to do this first big thing with Logan and you guys qualify and you have this amazing energy going and um, you're fundraising and you're going to run for Ainsley's Angels. You have the the shirt and the the hat on, which is a wonderful, uh, wonderful cause and an organization to be involved with. You know, most people, again, feel like, oh, we got cheated. We got beaten down. Our race went away. What does Dr. Bill and Logan come up with? The Marathon of Hope. So tell everybody that doesn't know the dynamic duo, what was the Marathon of Hope? Where did the idea come from? And, and tell everybody about that. Well, you know, we had already done all the training and we had, uh, you know, prepared for Boston and uh, we were we were very excited. And um, uh, like I mentioned, this is Logan's last year of school. And so that was part of our reason for trying to qualify for Boston, because we're just trying to make this year extra special for him. And so we're like, you know, this is it. And then suddenly it's not, you know, we're, we're not we're not doing Boston. And so, um, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed and I'm thinking, hey, you know, there, there was a certain amount of symmetry uh, that I did it with my father when he was 55 and I'm 55 now. So just us being able to kind of do it at the same age. And I'm like, oh, man, and I had like 10 family members that were all coming to Boston uh, to, to be there. And, I, you know, I was just. Is it like you after Tokyo, you know, maybe even more so, though, you know, you, you have these expectations and suddenly, you know, it, they're gone and and maybe they're postponed, but it's it's a pretty big disappointment. So I'm like, you know, hey, I can either just like you say, I can sit there and whine and, and complain about what's going on or, or we can try to do something. So. Um, it was a, it was a really fast turnaround and I was like sitting in my office, like I'm sitting here today. I'm like, Hey, what can I do? You know, with the condition that I have with the, the, you know, Logan wants to do this. I, I want to do this. So I'm like, you know, I, let's do the marathon of hope. So I go home that night and I say, 
Carol, I'd love to create some hope for other people that we can try to do this and that other people can see this, that we can provide other hope, because that's just kind of when everything kind of exploded was right at that point in time. It was, uh, hey, lots of things kind of all fell in at once in regard to, hey, the NBA's canceled, the the NCAA basketball tournaments being canceled. All these things are, are hitting at once. So what can we do? And I said, Carol, I just really like to do this. Um, and she's like, well, they're shutting down things really quickly. And uh, she said, I've heard they're talking about, you know, people not even being able to go outdoors. And, you know, that's never come to full fruition here in, in rural uh, small town uh, Hickory, North Carolina, uh, the way it has been in, in um even New York, where they're putting more restrictions on there, and even more so for our friends Carlos and Carlos in Guatemala. I mean, they they can't even go out and do others in a lot of other countries. But there was talk of that at that time, and so I said, you know, I think in a couple of weeks I'd like to do this. And Carol's like, I don't know whether it's going to be around in a couple of weeks. So we had like a three day turnaround that we said, let's do it this weekend, and let's. You know, we're going to create this thing and I'm going to just put it out there to some of my friends uh, to do this. And we're going to do a marathon together. Me and Logan, uh, I'm going to get out his chair. We're going to push it. So I contacted some of my running friends, including uh, the ever wonderful Anna Boone. Anna, you know, I just love you so much. And that could be a whole segment unto itself. But uh, she's been such an incredible supporter for us. She does Ainsley's Angels with us. I've known Anna for a number of years. Uh, I made her cry before her own first Boston because she was in here as a treat, being treated. And she had a stress <laughs> fracture and, and uh, six weeks out from Boston. And, and I told her, girlfriend, you can't run for the next six weeks. Anyway, she is just such an amazing friend. So she came out, uh, a few of my other friends, Lee Starnes, Mark Roston, Robert Murray, um, you know, some other guys that came on out. And we went out into a local community here. There's a, a greenway. And we did um, Logan's Marathon of Hope. And we went out. And we put an um, a iPhone on the bottom of the, the um, Logan's chair. And so people could see it. Now, it was jittery and all around and, and everything else, but you could kind of see it. And there were parts where Logan's um, blanket went over the top of the, the uh, camera and so forth. But we did that continuously during the run. And then also Carol went out on different places during the run. And she took videos of us with my, my daughter, Tyler. My daughter, Tyler, she's going to be 20 tomorrow. She's amazing, too, and she supports us so much, and she's my wonderful artist. And anyway, they were out there. And then, to my surprise, my son, uh, Drake, who is down in Charlotte now, he and his wife, Molly, that just got married last year, they surprised us and came out, and they were out on the course. And so I was worried a little bit that we were going to go beyond the 10-person limit with just our support crew. But we went out and did the, the Marathon of Hope, and it was just it was a, a a great day. I mean, it was just so much fun. Logan, I mean, he just has so much joy when he loves to get into that chair. He just lights up. You were there for him, Ron, in Atlanta when you and I were there together. And it's just it's just so fun to see him. And and uh, they 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 call Angelman syndrome uh, what he has the happy puppet um, 
disease because they kind of flop up their hands and, and go up and down and and he just he gets so excited and, and he just loves it and it's just um uh I had a goal that day. I wasn't sure whether we could do it, but I had a goal for us to run a PR that day. But whether we did or not, it really didn't matter. But you know, you said you're a competitive guy, and I'm a little bit on that side too. And so I said Hey, you know, we had run 3.30 and change at Myrtle Beach to qualify for, for Boston. So we went out and uh, hit the hit the splits. And I, I know we we're getting, once again, pretty close to that time. But we came around and, and uh, ran uh, uh, 3.27 and change, almost 3.28 as far as that day. But like I say, the time was secondary. I'm glad we hit it. But just just having Anna out there, she ran part of the run. I had my buddy Lee on the bike that's with us. Uh, we stick out a you know a card table out uh, a couple spots to to get fluids along the way uh, out in the middle of nowhere, hoping nobody steals all the, the fluids that we stick <laughs> out there because you know it's just sitting out there. But it was just so much fun, and there were so many people that had such a positive response on Facebook. You know, we Facetimed a bunch of it and. It was just, it was just a ball and, and um, it's just, it's just incredible. Well, the word, the word that I use, and I would say probably the most predominant word that we use when we talk about the dynamic duo, because there's only one dynamic duo. I had um, Andy and Zach Ripley on who have their own uh, A to Z podcast and A to Z running website, uh, young couple, uh, two beautiful boys, and both of them have run in the last two Olympic trials. And at least three times while talking to them, I nearly called them the dynamic duo. I mean, <laughs> it was close, Bill. Obviously, it would have been a terrible mistake. I know you would forgive me, but I didn't. I didn't do it because there is only one dynamic duo. But the word that is just so easily comes to mind is joy. I mean, when you see Logan's face. Uh, when you see his eyes and you see his gestures and all of it, it's just joy. That's all it is. And um, it's a beautiful thing. It is. And and it's just such a privilege. And you were talking about people that have children that have challenges. And, and it's, it's a real challenge, you know, autism or Angelman syndrome or Down syndrome or whatever that problem, learning disabilities. It, it's a real a challenge to be out there, but if you're not in part of that, I just see, especially dads, I see so many fathers that, that just say, hey, this wasn't what I, I bought into, and I, I feel bad for them, I do, because it is hard, but I, I just think they miss out on so much. It's not just what the child misses out by not having a dad or a mom that, that you know, checks out either either emotionally or, or physically even worse, you know, and just leaves the situation. And they just miss out and and uh, the child misses out. And it's just, you'll, you'll get so much more back from what you get into that. And watching Logan to, to be able to do that, you know, and what I, I, it's just the definition of resilience in the, in the face of adversity. When I see that, I see him and I think about him just being able to, you know, put food in his mouth. He just doesn't have the coordination, the fine motor skills to be able to do that, but he does that. And I think, you know, Hey, if I'm hitting a hill and I'm getting tired, you know, yeah, that's tough. But you know, he does it every day, just the, the struggle to do those daily things, but you're going to get so much more out of that. And, and so for moms or dads or, or grandpas or grandmas or whatever people that you have out there that, 
that have the uh, capability to to speak into your your child's life or or grandchild or or somebody else's life is just phenomenal. And I would also encourage people, you know, a lot of times our natural tendency, and probably even before Logan, that was my tendency, is to walk away or, or try to get away from that, to get away from, hey, they're different and I don't want to bother them or whatever. I'm saying lean into that. Um, lean into to going up to that child and, and saying something or, or ask the mom and dad that's, hey, is it okay if I say hello to them? Or is it okay if I, I you know, um, smile with them or shake their hand or what, what, what is that? But lean into that. Don't, don't be the one that's too afraid to do it because I promise you're going to get a lot out of it. And, but you're going to give that child so much. And it may be that the child has some sensory disorder that, hey, yeah, they don't like to be touched or they don't like to be, but, you know, and that's fine too. But you're never going to, that, that parent's not going to be, oh, you know, get away from me person. It's just an opportunity for you to reach out to somebody that's a little bit different, that has a challenge. But you're, you, you met Logan, uh, Ron, you know, when we were there in Atlanta and it's just, he just brings so much joy to other people. And anyway, I'll, I'll stop. I'm, I'm just rambling on. But it's just rather than stepping away from those opportunities, I just would encourage people to step into them because you just don't realize what you're going to get out of that experience. Yeah. And I, I would like to piggyback a little further on some of the points you made there to just underscore them further. Um, I think when we realize our child is different or needs special attention or it's beyond the parent's ability to, you know, deliver speech therapy, get an autistic kid to, to break free because they can't, well, we can only do so much as parents. We want to solve everything in the world for our kids. We want to make their lives beautiful. We want to enrich them, but we need other people. We need teachers. Um, my next guest on the show is another amazing person like you, who's an, just a wonderful teacher. She won teacher of the year in Texas and she teaches dyslexic kids how to read. And, um, she started running groups for these kids to help them, you know, feel better about themselves and, and gain confidence and empowerment. And, um, there's people like you and her that are, that are doing really good things, but it's hard to say that I need help. It's hard to say, let me reach out to some other people and let them in. It's, it's not easy to say, let me take my son, Logan, who is different and who has all these challenges out with me and start doing runs where lots of other people are going to be around him and let somebody else behind the curtain. And I think that you should be applauded, you and Carol, for that, because there's people who, we all know this, dogs will instantly know what kind of human a person is. They'll know in 30 seconds of sniffing someone, okay, yeah, nope, sorry. Um, yet someone could walk over to a wild dog or a rabbit dog and two seconds later, the dog's licking a person because they know a dog will instantly know if someone is actually paying attention to them. And if somebody actually cares about another human being, they have that ability. It's like a radar detector. And I believe that Logan and other children that struggle with things do as well. And you could just see... Um, what his interactions were like uh, with Stephanie and Casey and Coach Brendan and and me and everybody in our group, um, just what that experience was like. And I don't mean just when we're outside and he's in the chair running, but just when we were able to sit down at the table and get some food or um, you know spend a little time before or after these races or to catch you guys uh, 
you know, coming in at the end of the race and then run through the finish line and do all the stuff I'm not supposed to do. Um, but I wouldn't trade any of it for anything. What are they going to do to me? They can't stop me. You know, I ran right across the finish line with you guys. I had to get all the shots of you and Logan. I mean, who's going to take the pictures? We can't depend on race photographers, Bill. Well, it was a great time to have you out there. And, and um, you're absolutely right. You know, it's just reaching out and asking and being willing to accept help. It's not it's not a sign of weakness and you have to remember that you're not doing it just for yourself. You're doing it for your child. And so it's, it's sometimes hard to reach out and do that. And that's been something I've had to learn is that I have to have to be willing to, to accept help from other people. And it's just not the way I was brought up. That's not the way, you know, pick up yourself by your bootstraps and go on and, and, um, it's not a weakness. It's it's a, something where you're helping your child. Your child will never be, you know, Logan's never going to be, you know, valedictorian of his high school class. He's never going to be, you know, a lot of those things. But can you allow your child to be all that they can be to achieve what they can achieve? Can you allow that dyslexic child to overcome that dyslexia to the greatest amount that it can? Can you allow that Down's child to be able to to speak as well as they can, you know, whatever that disability, whatever that is, you know, and Logan probably, unless something changes, will never, never talk to me. But, you know, you know, I see his love and I see his excitement in so many different ways. And, and so it looks different. You know, you, you realize that your expectations maybe need to change. But what is best, not for you, but what is best for that child? And that's that's what you have to keep in mind rather than focusing, you know, once again, it's even as runners, it's not all about us. And that's that's something that I've even had, you know, with our work with Ainsley's Angels is that we used to do a lot of our things together. And Logan and I, we had our own thing going and that was good and that was fine. But having Ainsley's Angels with other people that can experience the same joy that Logan has that's that's just been a huge benefit for us. And so that's just been in the last few years where we've seen that kind of expand here locally, where we have other people that are able to, to see that. And so it was selfish for me to, to steal this, all that joy thing that Logan experiences in a run for just me and Logan. And so, hey, what about other people that can experience that? And that's that's what fires us up to try to raise money for Ainsley's Angels and see these other things is that I can see that with other people that can join in that, that you know, hey, whether that, that child has whatever disability, they can see that joy coming across the line and they can hear the cheers for them out there. And, and, and it's not just about Bill and Logan anymore. It's about everybody else that, you know, uh, people like Anna Boone that's out there with her, her pink tutu or, or whether she's out, out at the, the local road race with the uh, um, – she was the, you know, one of the invisibles, uh, you know, in the superhero run. And and so, you know, and she was uh, pushing Miss Patricia out there. You know, hey, those are fun things. And I promise you're going to get more back. I would encourage other runners, whether it's Team Hoyt has groups or or Ainsley's Angels has groups. Runner, go out and push one of these kids and try not to be impacted by that. And you don't have to do it 50 times a year. You can do it once or twice. But you're going to be, I promise you, you're going to be changed by that 
you know, uh, being able there. And that's a way for you to, to give back. So anyway, I'm going to stop there. I, I keep, keep rambling here, Ron. You're doing, you're doing awesome, Bill. And everything you're sharing is uh, really powerful stuff because there's other people out there that are facing similar challenges or maybe haven't even thought about how they might tackle some of these things and their children with uh, similar struggles might be a lot younger. So you're giving them wonderful life lessons of things that you've learned along the way that have worked for you and things maybe you've learned from some of the folks in Ainsley's Angels or the Hoyts or whomever. And, and you know, sharing is good. We need, we need more of that. And it's, it's such positive stuff. And, you know, I know it isn't about the, the running and the, and the racing and just the times all, you know, at every single moment, but it's just amazing to know that you guys were in at 327. And for everybody listening at home, you know, that's sub eight minute pace, you know, pushing Logan, you know, around a course that's not pancake flat, um, not in a race with, you know, sure, local family members out there cheering and Anna and some other runners, you know, joining you for certain mile segments in there. But that is really impressive stuff, Bill. I mean, it's it's incredible, man. It's it's great stuff. So super proud of you guys. And um, just keep keep doing it, man. Keep on doing it. But you know what, Ron? He beat me again. He did? He beat me again, you know. <laughs> I've never beaten the guy, you know. It's just as hard as I try, you know. He's always right there in front of me. That's like I say, he I've got the best motivation ever right in front of me. So Logan's undefeated, and you you hear the joy and, and you see uh how happy he is. So one of the things we'll talk about um before we roll out of here, because I want to make sure every show um you know, um, you know, Dave does an amazing job from InPost Media for me, my producer of the show. Uh, we do detailed show notes. We put links in everywhere to anything specific, you know, whether it's another runner, a coach, a, a book that somebody's talking about reading that might help. Um, definitely want to do everything we possibly can to help you guys on the fundraising side. So your link to Ainsley's Angels or any other fundraising that you're doing for you and Logan for anything, just please, you know, make sure you share that with me um, before this post uh, and and the uh, podcast gets edited and finishes and, and gets published and gets pushed out. We want to make sure we have an ability to impact that. We want to help. And then th those posts that I'll put up there on Instagram and Facebook, I can share them to every single running group on the planet. And we'll just push and push and push because we want to make sure we're doing everything we can to help you guys um, hit those, hit those goals for sure. And, um, you know, one thing briefly, um, I know, um, this will easily be our longest podcast ever, but it'll easily be my favorite too. So we're not going to worry about how long we go. Um, I want you to just tell everybody a little bit about, uh, Logan's prom. Talk about that a little bit. Well, my wife, once again, is so amazing. And, and, uh, Logan didn't get to have a prom and, you know, this is his quote unquote senior year. Um, and so, you know, well, what do we do? So my wife has the idea. Logan loves the, the song by um, uh, Shake It Off uh, by, oh, I can't think of her name. I'll think of her name in just a minute. But everybody knows that silly song. And so Logan loves music. That's that's his other other uh, love language. And uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor that's who's saying. Taylor Swift. And so. I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan. I, I have to confess, I don't sit around and listen to too much. I might lose my man card if I did. But, <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, so anyway, he loves that song. And so my wife has the idea that, um, hey, does anybody um, want to send in videos of themselves where you can dress yourself up? And if you want to do that and we can play some of those videos for Logan, uh, send it in Facebook and we can 
and do that. So, well, somebody else says, well, why don't you stop over at our house? You can just drive into our driveway. And there's another special needs boy, Parker, uh, that lives not too far from us. Uh, and his parents said, you could stop out here. And Parker goes to the same school as Logan. And so they can dance to, together, Parker Lynn and, and uh, uh, you know, we'll keep our appropriate distance apart. So we're going to have um, Parker um, dress up too. So while that becomes one person, well, there's another special needs person that also come in, the Bibbies, and they say, well, yeah, we can do that. And they also go to, um, Megan goes to Conover School and, and her sister uh, has gone there too. And so they're both special needs kids. So we say, okay, there's a, well, there's other people that join in. So uh, long story, not long story long, uh, we ended up going to, to 10 different places um, and some some were, you know, the special needs, but a lot of other people that just love us. Logan's a rock star, like you say. I mean, people <laughs> just love Logan and, and they love him so much. And so anyway, they, you know, we, we were going all over the place, the Hickory area, Anna Boone's house and, and her sweet daughter, Catherine, and her husband, Alex, and we danced there and... So it was just, it was, you know, by the time we were done, we were, we were exhausted, but it was so much fun. And of course, you know, you listen at each place probably three times to the same song. So we heard it, you know, at least 30 times that day, that same song. And so, and then my sweet daughter, Tyler, she took all the videos off from Facebook and then also all the, uh, all the videos from visiting different people's driveways. And we created one video that was out there of that whole thing. And then there's a, if you watch the video, there's a special, I won't ruin the ending, but a special ending where they, they get together and do something at the end of the video. So you gotta wait till the end of the video to see it. But anyway, it's just uh, all my wife's idea and wife's work and Tyler's, she, I mean, poor Tyler, she heard the poor song 300 times because she's put the video together. <laughs> yes, because she was cutting it all together. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was, it was so much fun. So instead of, you know, and I think that's just a great example of you can sit there and whine. And it is, it's a hard time right now. It is, Ron. You know this. You've gone through some tough things. But how do we make the best out of the, the tough situation? My wife does such a great job of, of doing that. She, she has done a, a garden of hope at our house and, it's been, you know, trying to encourage other people uh, to, to write uh, notes for healthcare workers in our yard or our front yard. And and just how can we help somebody else? How can we get them? Well, give your neighbor some toilet paper or whatever. They run. How can we try to encourage other people during this time? I think that's that's an important thing to do. My wife is just so, so amazing at doing that. Well, that is Absolutely beautiful. And it's funny because you kind of preempted it. Uh, My last question was going to be if you or you and the dynamic duo had, you know, one message for everybody right now, you know, what would it be? I mean, I can still ask it, but you kind of, you know, really pointed to things that Carol's doing in the community. And, you know, you guys are just so immersed in every end of it, you know, with church, um, with the other families, with Logan Special School and just all the different ways that you are interconnected. And, um, you know, that's why you, as a family, you guys, there's so much love and you share the love, not just with Logan when you're out there running. So that's what, uh, that makes you someone that I look up to greatly and, um, why it was so important for me to, to want to have you on the show. Yeah. So I can't tell you how much I appreciated us covering all this ground. Definitely our longest show ever. 
I I wouldn't I wouldn't cut out one second of it. Everything's awesome. So do you have one message that you want to roll out with here before we go? One or one thought of any just could be anything at all. That anything off the top of top of mind that you have as before we uh before we roll out of here. Yeah, I think you know this this world is just what I said earlier. The world frequently um wants us to look at self and wants us to to see what we can just do for ourselves. And that's okay. You know, running is, is, you know, like you said, it's our version of our better self, you know, because we're able to do that. And that's okay because we are a better person. But while you're running, how can we encourage other people? And it's a challenging time to do this. But I look at you, Ron, and you, your work for healthcare workers and, and getting meals for those folks. You're doing something for other people that, to try to help and encourage them. And we can all do that in some way, shape, or form. And it's harder there in New York City than it is in Hickory, North Carolina. And there's different areas. I have, you know, one of my best friends that I did residency with. It's down in New Orleans, and, and she's she's, you know, facing that that uh, pandemic and the effects down there. And, and uh, you know, but she's trying to do her part. And I think about Sarah and her work in Canada and how she's right on the front lines and. Hey, how can we be the people that are not being selfish? How can we be sacrificial even during a hard time where we can look to help somebody else during this time? Because there are good things. I mean, I love John Krasinski's, uh, uh, um, you know, good news, some good news, you know. Yes, some good news. How, how do we pull good news out of that? How do we show positive things during this time? And it doesn't mean that there aren't hard things because that's that's reality. I mean, and I can tell you, you know, my finances have been hit spectacularly during this time. But I can sit there and focus on that or I can try to to uh, help other people during this time. We have an opportunity. We have the, the privilege of looking outwards rather than just looking inwards to, to see. And I, I just hope people take those opportunities to try to help other people along the way, uh, to, to be more giving than than taking, and and that's that's what life really should be about. It, you know, it should be about how we can impact other people rather than than just being selfish. So I guess that that would be one thing that I would say. And I've done plenty of preaching on this podcast, but you know, I look at you, Ron, and I look at. Um, how you've impacted other people, how you do these podcasts, and you're not making millions of dollars by doing this, but you're, you're trying to uh, be an encouragement to other people and how much you love other people. And I love your your photos. You've got the most amazing smile out there. And, and I, I, you know, you could open up your, your own smiling school and, and you know, <laughs> the people would just Hey, how can I smile better for my race photos? And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. And I would go in, I'd, I'd take the school in a heartbeat. But we, we just, you know, like I say, I just think that we have so many ways. Maybe it's our next door neighbor that that's elderly that that needs you to take in their garbage can for them. whatever it is. Trying to trying to to do something to help somebody else out and and um, you know, I think that's an incredible privilege that we all have. And maybe we have more time now to do that than ever. And even though there's certain avenues that, you know, hey, we can't get in crowds to be able to do that. But 
how can we do that for other people in different ways and think outside the box? Like my wife, you know, putting things out in their front yard, uh, trying to encourage other people. And other people came in and brought in artwork from all over the place in our yard. Maybe our neighbors don't like it because our, our <laughs> yard's full of artwork all over the the, the, the the yard. But that's okay, you know. Hey, this is this is a way maybe 12 people have gone by our yard and smiled. That's, that's enough. That's that's uh, enough or a heart, you know, a healthcare worker that sees that card that's there that that you know is encouraged out. So I mean, just be those people. That's what I guess what I would have to say. Well, it's it's well said, uh, Bill. And um, I I learned from my mom at a super young age. It always feels better to give something uh, than to receive. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she taught she'd work all year, all year, and put. God knows how many gifts on layaway to put a ton of presents under our tree when we were so young. Um, and it just mattered so much to her that she wanted us to feel that we were going to have lots of gifts to open. And I don't really know why that was so important to her because we felt so much love from her and she was such an amazing parent and God bless that she's still with us to this day. But her spirit of generosity that was instilled in me from that super, super young age. And it was always about giving for others, not just for her sons, but for other people and always sacrificing from herself first, always taking away, I don't need this for me, but my son needs that or another family member needs that. So um, yeah, that uh, that transferred across and it, it transfers across the kids you've coached and other people. And you know, for me, um, I've raised over $3,000, which I'm so incredibly proud of to feed these healthcare people, but I spent a lot more than that. And you know what? I'm not going to stop yet because at some point I'll hit a number where I realize, okay, I really can't keep going any further unless I get some more money in, but that's not right now because every single time I get those photographs back from those nurses and doctors that are working in respiratory therapy and the pulmonary docs that are running the ventilators that are dealing with this incredible trauma and stress every day. And I see those pictures, I feel like a million dollars. So you know what? I'll keep pushing a little harder. I'll run my third marathon. Uh, every Friday's marathon day. So tomorrow's my third. Um, and I'm out there running by myself with no people and no crowds and, you know, carrying my fluids in a backpack at all. But gosh, if it doesn't feel good, Bill, when you're done and you know that, you know, you're contributing and, um, you know, making an impact to some people that are sacrificing so much for us all right now. So let's let's all do more of that. Uh, like some some good news, uh, SGN. Let's let's share more good news. Let's do more things. Let's be better neighbors. Let's be better uh, people in the community. And uh, you and Carol and your family, you guys are leaders in that. So thanks for uh, setting such a great example. And thanks for sharing so many amazing uh, stories with me and with the Run Chats listeners. This is going to be an epic show. And I, I'm sure the team ORT family is going to be super proud to hear, to hear all of it. So Bill, thank you so much. Um, can't tell you how much I appreciated all of your time and, uh, you know, God bless to you, Carol Logan and the family. And I can't wait till I get a chance to see you guys all again. Well, thanks so much for the privilege of letting us on here or letting me on here. I will say one thing though, I'll agree with hundred percent of what you said or 98% of what you said. I'm going to argue with one thing though. Uh, when you are out on those marathons, you got a lot of other people out there with you. You got me and Logan and so many other people that are out there with you. We might not be out there with you physically, but we're out there um, 
just alongside you wherever we can be to, to try to do that. So just remember when it gets hard and that ankle starts hurting or you're just feeling tired or whatever, you've got a lot of other people out there with you. And we love you so much, Ron. And thank you just for the privilege of just letting me come on and, and letting uh, me just have the opportunity to maybe shine the light on Logan a little bit. I'm a little biased on the, on the, the big guy too. So but it was just, just great talking to you, Ron. Well, thank you. And, and oh my gosh, Bill, 100%. It's just an expression that I've gotten used to saying because I'm running by myself all the time now. So it's not, oh my God, I could never in my wildest dreams run 26 miles completely alone. As you know, in the first one, my ankle literally like locked up on me at 19 miles. There's not a chance on this earth if I didn't have so many people in my life who love me and care for me and are a huge part of what I try to do and believe in the things I'm doing. Never, ever, ever. Uh, that's how we do what we do, Bill. We channel that, that that beautiful spirit inside from the people who love us and care for us. So thanks for bringing it up because I never lose sight of that at all. And I certainly also thought awful hard about all those healthcare workers that are just exhausted and beaten down and just battling depression and so many other things because they just don't have a cure that they can give someone. And, and, you know, they, they have to be there in, in lieu of the family member, um, you know, masked up and all that. So it's just uh, so many tough emotions they're all dealing with. So, um, but God bless to you guys and to the whole family and thank you again. So we'll roll out with, as we always do with peace out and always remember to stay, stay in, the fight. in the fight Yeah. and team ORT. Yeah. Wow. Was that not inspirational stuff? Truly amazing. How about some of those stories? Walking into the hardware store with your dad and confronting no other than Johnny Kelly, the younger of Boston Marathon fame. And of course, Phil's dad goes right up to him and introduces themselves and they get into the middle of a conversation as things would be back in the day in Boston where everyone was so much more low-key and approachable and life was different. And, and how about the story of them rolling up in their van and asking a family in Hopkinton if they could park in the driveway and just hang out race morning, run the race separately, no cell phones, no meeting places at a time that couldn't be more different than the one we live in today and uh, getting together after the race and getting a ride back out to Hopkinton. And that stuff was just absolutely amazing. I was captivated listening to Bill talk about those war stories that he shared together with his dad. And of course, the two of them having that chance meeting with the Hoyts in 2005, which certainly probably put the thought there in Bill's head of, you know, what could he and Logan do you know, could this be something that they could try and do together to build their own legacy the way the Hoyts have running 32 marathons in Boston and completing an Ironman triathlon? But it's, uh, it's really, uh, truly remarkable, exceptional stuff. He's a quality human being through and through, deeply connected in the community, wonderful family person, very involved in his community in the church. And uh, not only as a runner, but as a coach with uh, the Hickory Christian Academy, coaching those teams to you know six years of championships, boys state championships, girls state championships, but more importantly, like the legacy he's built with those kids wanting to run with him today. Many of them, maybe not even that hardcore into running, but just wanting to run a marathon with a good doc as they've gotten through different phases of their life. 
And uh, the you know the part of the episode obviously that delivers the gold and the money for me is just uh, the the talk of the dynamic duo and the formation of that, and really just how they came to fruition and you know the impact that they've um, begun to have and are starting to have and and you know their legend is definitely growing and the, the marathon of hope hearing them talk about that and how they put that together with Boston being sidelined or postponed at this point, I, I think we can all assume there really aren't going to be any races this fall. And what a wonderful um, idea by Carol and their friends in the community to put that together and engage local runners like Anna Boone from Team O'Leary and other good friends of uh, of the dock to get out there and share some miles and film that that joyful, inspirational journey that they shared. And they ran a PR together. And uh, you just know the excitement uh, that Logan generates when he's out there with Dr. Bill. And it's something that everyone, I hope, will get an opportunity to see at some point when racing resumes, because it really is something very powerful. Uh, and it's and it's incredibly emotional, and it will change you as a person when you see it. Um, there's just too many other uh, highlights to go over, but uh, we will link up all the special details in the show notes of of their incredible running resumes and accomplishments they have. But most importantly, I want to make sure that I leave in the show notes and the Instagram post and Facebook post to follow a chance if there is uh, to link up any fundraising opportunities to help uh, the dynamic duo get to their goals uh, running for Ainsley's Angels in Boston. I don't think it'll take place this year, and I think they already know that, but I'm sure it will. We have to be optimistic that it would happen in 2021. And we want to help Bill and Logan any way we can because God bless, man. If we're if we can't get in the ring to help those those two, like who are we going to help? Um, they make us all feel so good. They bring so much joy and optimism to the world. And um, the appropriately named Marathon of Hope couldn't have been named better. So um, this one was truly special to me. As I said in the intro, if anybody can mark the uh, time and moment in this episode where I cried, I'm not even sure Bill knows that I did. Um, But it was just a moment where I just got a little emotional, as I do uh, when I'm around the two of them uh, quite frequently. So um, this one was really special to me. Um, Bill is just an amazing guy and someone I'm proud to call a friend. So I really hope that if this episode moves you the the way that it moved me um, and the people who know Bill and, and his beautiful son, Logan, and his wife, Carol, or even if you don't know them at all, and this is like first time you're going to be exposed to this 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 wonderful human being and his son and what their journey and adventure is about, as well as the journey he formed with his dad, the, the connection that was forged that was so deep. If you are moved in some way um, and you feel this episode could really help somebody who's in a Uh, experiencing a tough time, or you know other parents who have children that are suffering with um, just different maladies, autism, any other cerebral palsy. You know, obviously Logan has Angelman syndrome, but any parents that have special needs children out there, they're they're facing just different challenges than than the rest of us are. And I think hearing how Bill and Carol uh, tackled those things um, through the years and are continuing to to take on those challenges and how they handle them with such grace. I think there's just so much in that episode that could help other people. So please share to anybody that you know that uh, that could be impacted by this. And if you feel strongly that this episode really moved you in some way, and you can take a moment to rate it, 
or give it a review or, you know, take a screenshot of it and share it on Instagram stories or just your Instagram feed or on Facebook. It'll really help us find new listeners for the channel. And really, that's what we want to do. We want to grow this platform of positivity. And I just can't think of a, a guest who embodies that more than uh, Dr. Bill and his beautiful family and his son, Logan. So uh, this one was special. It was a treat. And I hope you all enjoy it. So I just want to say to you all, thank you so much for being part of Run Chats. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the feedback. Thank you for the shout outs. Anybody that's a part of the show and a friend of the show means the world to me personally. So keep spreading the love and we're going to keep bringing guests on like Dr. Bill that are going to share positive messages and really try to help us grow this wonderful platform that we've, we've got going here. So uh, that's pretty much all from me. So I just want to say to you all, uh, God bless. God bless all of our healthcare workers. God bless all the moms for Mother's Day tomorrow. It's Saturday night. I'm recording this intro. We wouldn't be anything in this, in this life and world without them. We couldn't do a single thing without a mom's love. So God bless all the moms. God bless all the frontline healthcare workers and all the people that are out there, you know, battling COVID to keep us safe. And uh, so we'll just say... Peace out to everybody and always remember to stay in the fight. God bless. <laughs>